This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines on this Friday. State lawmakers met for the first time in the new year. What do this week's sessions tell us about the year ahead in the State House? And at least eight police officers on the so-called Lorry List remain active in the state, including two police chiefs. Also, Secretary of State Bill Gardner making news, stepping down after 40 years in office. Joining me now to talk about all of that and more are NHPR's Todd Bookman and In-Depth New Hampshire's Paula Tracy. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Good to have you both here. Thank you for the time. Uh, Both the New Hampshire House and Senate meeting in person this week for the first time in the new year, but neither of these sessions were held in their usual meeting spots in Concord. Paula, how did lawmakers choose to gather this week? Well, the 400-member House met Wednesday at a hotel convention center in Manchester, with members divided in seating between mask mandatory and mask optional. But that also followed political lines pretty much with the Democrats mostly all wearing masks. Um, The 24-member Senate met in the House chambers so they could be socially distanced, and about three of them were wearing masks, but they were pretty much isolated by a big distance compared to the convention center. While all 24 of them were present, um, there were about 50 members of the House not present, including some who are immunocompromised. Yeah, and many of those lawmakers had been asking for uh, remote sessions, haven't they? Yeah, and they didn't get it. Um, What the public should know, though, is that they can listen remotely to um, hearings, but they cannot uh, testify um, remotely. Um, So, you know, it's going to be an interesting session. Um, They continue to um, work out uh, agreements as they go, but um, I think we're in for some pretty um, tough tough hearings. Yeah, this this could get interesting, I think, as, as time goes on. What, what kind of COVID safety measures were, were in place for, for the larger House gatherings this week, and, and are they going to continue? Um, they were trying to uh, isolate people in different regions um, of the building. It's, it, if you've ever been to uh, the Doubletree Inn Convention Center in Manchester, it's a large space, but um, with 400 members, um, they um, many of them brought their own chairs to sit in, um, folding chairs so that they could have extra space. But um, And they had different entrances um, and exits for those who were mask optional. Um, but there was um, a lot of interaction in, in the hallways, in the bathrooms, um, for the coffee, um, where um, people who were masked and unmasked were inter, um, interacting. Um, so, um, I think it's a lot different um, and a much more collegial atmosphere in the Senate, um, where there are certainly fewer, um, and they have more space. um, And it it remains to be seen how um, they will continue on if this is something that they do for the rest of the session. Yeah. Um, Paula, what was the general tone of those sessions, though? You say it was more congenial. Um, I would say... The Senate is more congenial, but I don't think the tone in the House, I think it's somewhat negative, particularly among the Democrats. They're, when I interviewed a num- number of them, they were feeling forced to choose between their own health and their constitutional duty to their electorate and were a little upset with Republicans for forcing their hand and not al- allowing them a remote option to vote. The Republicans, on the other hand, seem to be pretty... Um, pleased with um, the arrangement, felt that the accommodations made were reasonable. Um, and um, it remains to be seen whether that continues to be the case. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Well, getting down to business, though, none of Sununu's vetoes from last session were overturned by the state legislature this week, and, and the House approved a GOP-backed redistricting plan. What were some of the other outcomes from uh, from the actual debates? Well, I didn't actually cover um, the um, actual um, bills themselves. My colleague, Gary Reno, handled most of the substances of those. But I went basically to look at the mask issue um, and um, how sort of the tone of the place um, was. Mm. Um, but I think um, that what I, I got out of it was the vetoes were sustained and the governor clearly had a good um, couple of days and likely a good upcoming legislative session, which um, because he has clearly the party control. Sure. Um, yeah, so. firm control of, of uh, both bodies and, and the governor, of course, Republican. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with in-depth New Hampshire's Paula Tracy and NHPR's Todd Bookman. You can let us know your thoughts and questions, by the way, for the week's news by sending us an email. It's voices at nhpr.org. Let's turn to you, Todd. You've been following up on the Lori list since uh, part of it was made public last week. I know the state I attorney. Have... Go ahead, Todd. Yes, I have. This was sort of a, a, a big moment. Um, years in the making, this list uh, has a long history. Um, essentially, it's a tool that prosecutors use to make sure they're turning over what's called exculpatory evidence in criminal cases. So, so if there's something in a police officer's record uh, that makes him or her possibly less than credible prosecutors, they need to know that and they need to tell defendants. And this list is the way that prosecutors keep track of which cops uh, do have these potential credibility issues. So, you know, defense attorneys, civil liberty types, uh, reporters have long pressed to make this list public. And, uh, you know, the Supreme Court has weighed, on, weighed in on it and said that the list isn't automatically secret. And then the legislature uh, this year, with, with the support of police uh, unions, uh, uh, crafted a bill to, to make that re- the release possible. Well, OK, so the first part of the list has been released. Of course, it was released uh, during the last week of the year, a, a typically quiet news week when people might not be paying as much attention. Um, can you tell us, you know, remind us of, of not only the purpose of the list, but why, what are some of the reasons given for why these officers end up on this list? Yeah. So, so the list itself, it, it's, it's really just this two page spreadsheet. Uh, I, I've got it in front of me right now. The, you know, the left-hand column just has the names of the officers. It includes the police departments they were working in at the time. Uh, it's got the date of the incident that's in question, the date they were added to the list. And then the, the far right column is, is a very frustrating column because it's just a one or two word explanation for what the, the alleged conduct, or I should say the sustained conduct that, that got the officers on the list. And so the words are things like excessive force, falsifying records, falsifying evidence, uh, criminal conduct, or this sort of catch-all category called truthfulness. And out of the 90 names that were released last week, uh, about two-thirds are listed simply for, for truthfulness. But, but we don't know any more about the actual incident. That's not disclosed to the public, and, and, it, and it won't be, uh, except for the, the officers who you know, were charged or found guilty of criminal conduct. Uh, very little else about you know the, the history of these incidents is known. Now, you reported this week that at least eight of the sworn law enforcement personnel whose names are on that list do appear to remain employed in the state. That includes two current police chiefs. What else have you have you gleaned from the list? Uh, uh, well, not much else, frankly. You know, again, there's just limited information about the conduct. Um, and, and I should note that that stands in contrast to other, I guess, what we could call certified professions in the state. Um, you know, this week I was able to an- attend a disciplinary hearing for a lawyer whose law license has been challenged. 
those allegations are always sort of done publicly. Same things with, with uh, doctors or nurses who have their licenses suspended or, or teachers. Uh, you know, those allegations are, are public, but it is not that way with police. Uh, as far as the, the two, two chiefs you referenced, the, the chief in Lyme ha has been candid with the town for years about what got him placed on the lorry list. Uh, it was something involving a, a hunting party in Pennsylvania, a very low level incident by his description that was later expunged uh, from his record. But the, the chief in Troy is a, is a different story. Yeah, we've heard much more about that. Can you tell us more about, about uh, Chief Dave Ellis? Sure. So this is Dave Ellis. He's been chief uh, in the town of Troy since 2013. Uh, his status on the lorry list had never been previously disclosed. At least that's what the Board of Selectmen told us this week. Uh, Ellis was placed on the list in 2018. He was chief at that time. Uh, NHPR has, has been in contact with the chief, and uh, he has said that he was not even aware that he was on the list. That's at least what he is claiming until a few months ago when he was given notice of the opportunity to appeal his status. Uh, he did not file an appeal. Uh, the Troy Board of Selectmen uh, met last night and uh, the issue wasn't discussed, at least not in the in the public portion of that meeting. Mm. It's morning edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Todd Bookman and in-depth New Hampshire's Paula Tracy. Paul, I want to turn back to you. Bill Gardner, who has served as New Hampshire's Secretary of State for more than 40 years now announced that he's retiring. He's the longest serving secretary of state in the nation. He's often got a lot of national attention. Um, what was your reaction to that announcement, Paula? Well, I was quite surprised, actually. Um, Bill Gardner is an institution and for many people considered a state treasure that has um, been nonpartisan and provided an institutional ground for New Hampshire to hold the first in the nation primary. I think he's the single reason why New Hampshire has held on to the primary. Um, but he would argue that it's the it's the public um, that um, has allowed us to have an outsized um, impact and role in selecting the next president because of our interaction with uh, candidates for president and um, our ability to get to the polls and do it right um, for the most part. Um, it's funny. I think about him starting in 1976 as in his 20s um, and um, for 26 years he has been as a Democrat elected by the legislature to hold that position. I started covering him when I was in my 20s um, and um, I worked at the union leader for 25 years and Every election, I would be assigned to cover what he was doing that day and, and what the tone and, and what was going on. He would go from large city precincts to small, you know, backwoods um, town halls to check in with the um, the clerks and the um, the voters to see how things were going. And I'm going to really miss his engaged um, presence. Um, you know, he he has gone to national conventions with his um, Secretary of State counterparts and really built a reputation nationally. Um, yeah, he really represented New Hampshire, I think, uh, to many people. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, I, I, I want to ask, I don't want to mean to cut you off, Paula, but we're running out of time here. Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State Dave Scanlon is taking over for, um, for, for the rest of Gardner's term. What can you tell us about Scanlon, and do you expect him to follow in Gardner's footsteps when it comes to the primary? 
I do expect that. Um, Dave is definitely his handpicked successor, and he is laying out a very uh, good um, year for him to um, step into the role before the legislature, the next legislature, will um, elect a new Secretary of State. He um, I met him back he, when he was a forester, um, and um, he also was a state rep. Um, in 2002, he became um, uh, the deputy um, for Gardner, and he has been shoulder to shoulder at every um, you know aspect of that job. And he basically said uh, this week that his plan is to um, continue on um, in the way that um, Gardner has uh handled the, the office, and um, I don't expect much change there. Okay. And HPR's uh, Todd Bookman and In-Depth New Hampshire's Paula Tracy right there. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning on the New Hampshire News Recap. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. You can find their work, by the way, in all the stories that we've talked about this morning at nhpr.org and indepthnh.org. And don't and don't miss next week's news recap right here on Friday morning. Another round of the New Hampshire news that you need to hear. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.